Acts chapter 28 verses 1 through 10. When they had been brought safely through, then they found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began to say to one another, undoubtedly this, uh, undoubtedly this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off in the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Verse 7. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he prayed, he laid hands on him and healed him. After this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. God, help us now as your word is preached. Let it be gospel seed. Spread in our hearts that will take root and grow to fullness by your grace. Spirit, we ask that you apply the word to us as a balm, as a saving salve, as a healing ointment to our souls. Show us your grace, both common grace and special grace. Put in our lips a song of praise to our God, we pray. Mold us, shape us, make us like Christ. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Master. Amen. Last time we found Paul under arrest, being transported to Rome to appear before Caesar. He was placed in the charge, under the charge of a Roman centurion named Julius, the full traveling party consisted of soldiers, prisoners, ship's captain and crew, along with other travelers like Luke and Aristarchus, totaling 276 souls. Against the advice of Paul, they set sail at a questionable time of year for traveling, and they were caught up in a terrible storm at sea. They were forced to throw everything overboard that wasn't nailed down. Cargo, 
ship's tackle, and lastly the grain, the, the grain stores that were there. For two long weeks, they were tossed about in the Adriatic Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. Mediterranean and Adriatic come together. They were tossed about in the Mediterranean and Adriatic Sea, blown, we're going to use the word right now, aimlessly. Blown aimlessly by the winds. At the end, we'll come back and we'll consider how aimless this was. They ended up running aground on an island off the coast of this island. They had to, they had to swim in. Later they learned the island was named Malta. And the ship broke up. Those who could swim swam ashore. Those who could not floated ashore on debris from the wreckage. And just as Christ had revealed to Paul, just as the angel had reminded Paul, and just as Paul had informed those 276 souls, every person was spared. All 276 surviving and landing there on the Maltese island. And that's where we pick up, that was review, we pick up in verse 28, when they had been brought safely through, then we found out the island was called Malta. As we work through the text today, we will make six observations and we'll make application along the way. So let us note then in the first place, the immediate danger that still existed. Just because these were off the ship, just because these were out of the sea, that did not mean that danger was over. First we'll consider potential danger, potential danger that did not come about, but it was nevertheless potential danger. And it was common in that day, and it is still common in this day, that when people are found in a desperate circumstance, in a desperate situation, that evil people will take advantage of that desperate situation. They will steal from them. They will assault them, even kill them. This was something that would have been common in that day, and we even see those kind of things now. This potential danger might have been on the mind of those who were swimming to shore as they approached that beach. As they approached land. What will we find here? What, what people might inhabit this place? What danger might be awaiting us? This potential danger did not happen, but it may have been on their minds as they came to shore. As, as I'm thinking about them coming to shore, as we go there in our mind's eye, I, I, I wonder what that beach was like. Some of you have been to the beach. You've had a nice, wonderful day in a sandy beach. This was probably not that kind of beach. 
uh, the time that my wife and I were able to spend on beaches in the Adriatic Sea, those beaches are not sandy, but are rocky. Now, I've done some research on Malta. You can find today sandy beaches, but it appears that, that the place where Paul landed is even today still a rocky place, not a nice sandy beach. No umbrellas and lounge chairs. So as we think of them coming to the beach, don't think of those things. Think, think of a rocky beach. There was potential danger that didn't come to pass, but there were actual dangers that did. This was a cooler time of year. If you'll remember, this was late September or early October. So the weather had begun to change. And even now they have been two weeks at sea in this frigid nor'easter storm with a cold blowing wind. These 276 people then are in the sea, in the sea, and hypothermia is a real danger. Normal body temperature, 98.6 degrees. And it is amazing to me how, how fragile we are. 98.6 degrees, but core body temperature is so vital, only losing a few degrees can make a huge difference. Core body temperature dropping only four or five degrees brings shivering, nausea, increased heart rate, increased blood pressure, a decline in memory, in judgment, in the ability to think clearly. Only four or five degrees. And a few more degrees lost and the human becomes unresponsive and death can come very quickly. We are fragile. And now 276 in the sea. Hypothermia is a threat. The Adriatic water temperature during that time of year would have been in the upper 60s and that might not seem too cold to us, but remember, that's 20 degrees below severe hyperthermia. I, I just said hyperthermia, and I want to correct that. Hypothermia. Hypothermia means low heat. Hyperthermia is high heat. We want to be specific. This was low heat. The, te the temperature of the water was 20 degrees below a severe condition. And the human body loses heat in water much faster than in air, much more quickly, 25 times more quickly in water than in air. So, I was doing this study and my wife is thawing some things from the freezer. And what do you think I told her? Put it in tepid water. Because 25 times faster it'll thaw. Because of the transfer. So the danger 
for these 276 castaways was not over, you might say it was increased. As we note the immediate danger that they faced, the danger of freezing, freezing to death, we see the importance of the extraordinary kindness that was shown. And that's our second observation. The kindness shown. And in verse 2, Luke calls it an extraordinary kindness. When you consider that there were those who would rob and steal and kill, the kindness that is shown here is extraordinary. We have here the word translated in my Bible and maybe in yours too, native. The King James calls this barbarous, this barbarous people. And the word that we think of is barbarian. But we should not think of these islanders as savages or as violent people or even as uncivilized or primitive people. The word barbarian referred to people who did not speak Greek. The word barbarian for them was an onomatopoeia. First time in 25 years of ministry that I've used the word onomatopoeia from the pulpit. Maybe you'll remember from your elementary school or junior high school what an onomatopoeia is. It's a word that sounds like what it is. Buzz. Sizzle. Clap. Pop. Bang. Oh, yeah. Oh, so those are onomatopoeia words. And the word barbarous or barbarian was an onomatopoeia to the Greek ear when they heard the foreign languages. What did they hear? Bar, 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 bar. And they said, oh, that's barbarous. Bar, 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 bar. Incidentally, when we find the word in the Old Testament uh, where the children of Israel murmured, that's another onomatopoeia. So this barbarous here is not speaking of savage people or of uncivilized people. It just means that they did not speak the Greek language, but it becomes clear very quickly that these people were kind, that they were organized, that they were civil, not not the way we have come to understand the word barbarian in our modern usage. These people did show extraordinary kindness. As these 276 freezing, shipwrecked people came to their shore, the text tells us they kindled a fire and received all of us. Now I've thought about the fires that we've had. We've had some fires. I've been here 15 years. We've had a lot of fires. Mostly small fires, but Pastor Brent has had us out picking up sticks to build big fires. And we've had some large fires. Think for a moment the size of fire needed to warm 276 people. This is quite an extraordinary kindness. This was not a simple task. It required work. Lots of work. And these people, these Maltese people, labored 
to help. There were no kings on the ship. They labored to help prisoners and soldiers and, and regular people. This is what we call a common grace. Common grace. I had a man argue with me one Sunday after a sermon that there is no such thing as common grace. He, he argued that only salvation should be referred to in terms of grace. But grace is a, is a gift. Grace is a, is a word that is a free gift. And, and how do we look at, how do we consider all the blessings which are enjoyed by men and women, boys and girls, lost and saved alike. Blessings like the rain we got this week. Blessings like healing that is brought when we receive medicines. What is this? Is it not grace? John Murray gave a great definition of common grace. He says common grace is every favor of whatever kind or degree falling short of salvation, which this undeserving and sin-cursed world enjoys at the hand of God. Everything that we call good is a common grace. These islanders did not know the gospel but they had a common grace. A common grace that frankly outshone many cultures, many societies. How many people would do this to come out? I mean, they didn't invite those people, but to come out in the cold, in the wind, in the rain, and take wood, by the way, wet wood, right? It would have been wet wood. And kindle a fire. When an unsaved person shows kindness to another person, this is common grace. But we must always remember as we understand common grace, that common graces are from God. They are from the hand of God. So in the midst of this immediate danger of freezing to death, the Maltese people showed extraordinary kindness in aiding these castaways. Thirdly, let's look at this thing that is mentioned really only in passing in verse 3. But when Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire. In my notes, I labeled this Paul's continued leadership, leading by example. Now think about this. They, they hadn't listened to Paul when he told them not to set sail. Some of them had tried to abandon the ship. And knowing that the ship would go down with all the passengers on it. That was the crew. But the soldiers stopped them. They basically would have, would have called, caused the death of all those people. 
when they were going to go to shore, the soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners. And Paul would have been included in that group being killed. So they didn't listen to Paul. And now he's had two different times that they would have, that, that his life would have not been spared or it would have been taken. Except Julius stopped the soldiers. So now they're on shore. The Maltese natives are caring for them. What a great time for Paul to sit back and relax and rest and let someone else wait on him. Let someone else care for him. One might think Paul deserves a break. I mean, you're not thinking about Paul, but you would think it about yourself if you were there. I deserve a break, but not Paul. He's been through this great ordeal. And now he leaves the warmth of the fire to go and gather sticks that the fire might be kindled greater to serve others. This is, this is truly leadership. There's application here for us today. We should seek to be useful even in the smallest things. Even in the smallest things. Paul was not too important. Do you know who I am? I am an apostle of the living God who created all things. And you want me to pick up sticks? Paul was not too important to gather sticks. And by the way, there's no indication that anyone asked him to gather sticks either. He took the initiative to serve in this way. What is it? What task is there that is beneath a Christian's dignity? What, what is considered too low for you to do? Even the most dignified, honored Christian in all the world should be willing to pick up sticks. How many of us are too haughty, too high to clean toilets? We don't, we don't clean the toilets, do we? How many of us are too high or too haughty to wipe off tables, to sweep floors, to wash dishes, to change a diaper to help someone to take out the trash. As I was preparing this message, I thought about what a blessing it is here at Waco Family to see our deacons serving you. Serving you, that's what they're doing. They're serving God by serving you. And they do this labor with joy <laughs> to the glory of God. But church, I've said this before, but let's be reminded, we dare not think that the deacons are the ones who are to do the work. True, they, they lead in the work. 
They manage the work. But we are supposed to be working. Ask your deacons, how can I help? What can I do to serve God's people here at Waco Family Baptist Church? They are serving. The, the point here, the application for us is that a servant is not greater than his master. And our Lord and master knelt down and washed the disgusting, nasty feet of the disciples. Now, in our day, the application is not to literally, physically wash feet. And all God's people said, Amen. But how do we wash the feet of our brother and sister? By helping them in the daily, everyday things where we can. What is it? What is it we would ask? That you're too good to do. We have a hymn that we have been learning recently. Hymn 444. You don't have to turn there, but let me read a couple of verses from this short hymn. I ask thee for the for the daily strength to none that ask deny a mind to blend with outward life while keeping at thy side content. To fill a little space if thou be glorified. In service which thy will appoints, there are no bonds for me. My secret heart is taught the truth that makes thy children free. A life of self-renouncing love is one of liberty. Christians, are we content to fill a little space? If it glorifies God. Are we content to live a self-renouncing life for the glory of God? Fourthly in the text, the part that we've been waiting for, the snake. Let me say this. I don't have it in my notes, but I realize that I never addressed this in, in preparing the sermon. What happened? Snake bit Paul, and it was a bad bite. It wasn't just a graze or a nick, because the snake latched on. So this was a this was a bad bite. What happened? Perhaps, perhaps what we know about venomous snakes, mature venomous snakes, we know that they can choose to inject venom. Or they can choose to do what is called a dry bite, where they bite, but they don't waste their venom. They save that for hunting. Why would I waste venom on a guy that's just gathering sticks? I'll save that for food. Perhaps it was a dry bite and no venom was injected. Or perhaps it was a miraculous <laughs> thing that happened. Whichever it was, whichever it was, it goes, it, it gets counted up to God, right? Whichever it was, it gets written down in the account of God took care of this. So whatever happened there. It's interesting for us to find out that today on the island of Malta, there are no venomous snakes. 
No venomous snakes on the island of Malta. And this has led some people to say that this proves that the Bible is not trustworthy. How could there have been venomous snakes? I mean, how could there be a venomous snake on an island and then 2,000 years, no venomous snakes? Even in framing the question, it seems kind of silly to me because it seems so easy a problem to explain. I mean, we, we have examples today. There are no, some of you may know this, there are no venomous snakes in the state of Maine. Uh, the United States in the state of Maine, there are no venomous snakes. But we also know that there were timber rattlers in 1860. So there was a time that there were venomous snakes and then since 1860, no venomous snakes. It could be. It is. In the inverse, I thought about you, Julie, that there are no, there you go, you're already there. No venomous snakes in Ireland for as far back as history records. Now there's folklore to go with that that we won't even address. But no venomous snakes. But I don't know if you knew this. A few years ago, I think it was in 2020, first venomous snake bite in Ireland ever. 2020. So this is the this is the reverse. There were no venomous snakes, and now there are. Maybe brought in, maybe as pet. Who knows? Who knows how they got there? But they got there. And in Maine, they were there, and now they're gone. And in Malta, there are no venomous snakes, but. Is it that far-fetched to believe that there were venomous snakes and that they were common enough that the natives recognized the venomous snake and knew what to expect? Oh, venomous snake bite. There's going to be swelling and probable death. They knew what to expect. Now, I got off my notes, so I got to find where we're at. This snake is important for us to, to think about in this way. This viper is God's viper. This viper is God's viper. The viper was there laying dormant in the cold in God's providence until the time came to bite Paul. That snake was there for that purpose. God used this snake. Listen, God used this viper to focus the Maltese people's attention from 276 castaways to one man, Paul. All eyes on him. That's amazing. This is God's viper. Paul, Paul could have said, God... I have served you faithfully. Haven't I? Paul served faithfully. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been arrested and beaten multiple times. Now he's just got off a ship that's broken up in the sea, swam to shore, and a snake bite? Really? God, that's what you're doing to me? He, he could have looked at the others there. Look at these soldiers. Look at the other prisoners. Everyone agrees that Paul is innocent. That he does not deserve to be a prisoner. The other prisoners, maybe they deserve the snake bite. Couldn't 
Paul have asked these kind of questions? Look at the godless pagans. The, the polytheistic idolaters that are here. God, why have none of them got snake bites? And I'm the only guy with a snake bite. I don't think, I don't think Paul was asking those things, but do you ever get like that? Do you ever ask those kind of questions? God, did you see the good stuff that's happening to my neighbors? They're sleeping in on Sunday mornings while I'm going to church. Or they're getting the boat ready to go to the lake while I'm getting my family ready to go to church. And they seem to be prospering and all we're doing over here is struggling. What about that, God? Paul, Paul is mature enough in Christ to know that God's will, what God brings to pass, is righteous, it glorifies God, and it is for Paul's best. A snake bite. It's for Paul's best. This was God's snake. Now, Christians, we need to look at our lives and we need to look at the afflictions that come upon us, the trials that we are faced with, and we need to, to see the things that we say, that's holding me back. And we need to ask, how many of those are God's afflictions? How many of those are God's trials? How many of those are God's obstacles? Does anybody know the answer? All of them. All of them. God is working. Now we'll take just a slight detour here. Consider that Paul did not gently release this snake back into the wild. I don't want to harm the snake in any way. He killed it by throwing it into the fire. He shook it off into the fire. I know some people believe, maybe some of you believe, there are good snakes and bad things. Bad snakes. I'm thinking of you, brother. I believe that Paul turned a bad snake into a good snake. <laughs> and that's what I try to do every time I come across a snake. <laughs> Turn the bad snake into a good snake. He threw it into the fire. Uh, I, I have a couple of preacher friends. We, we talk about passages like this from time to time, and I, and I have a couple of preacher friends who who really get hardcore with this. One of them says that when, when Peter was commanded by the Lord, kill and eat, rise, kill and eat, that that is uh, hunting theology. Theology for hunters. And one of my pastor friends says, this is a proof text for pest control. So, so we, we, listen, we, we need to care for the world that God has given us. We need to be good stewards of it. But we don't have to become snake huggers. It's okay to kill a snake. Paul killed a snake here. In the fifth place, let us recognize the sense of justice in the Maltese people. These barbarians. And then we'll see the sense of justice in their minds and then the fallen, fallenness of their minds as well. The sense of justice is, is part of man's innate knowledge. 
The Maltese people knew some things and they knew some things instinctively. They knew some things naturally. They knew that there is a power that governs the world. Consider what they said in their thought process. They assumed that some higher power, now they thought that it was their gods, one of their false gods. They assumed that some higher power was trying to kill Paul in the sea. And when he didn't die in the sea, that even after he escaped there, uh, the, the text reads that justice would not let him live. Literally, they would have referred to the goddess justice. So he escaped the wrath of one God and now the goddess justice will finish him off with a snake bite. Now this may seem like an ignorant, backward way of thinking, but I submit to you that this way of thinking that they had is a far cry smarter than the atheists of our day. Atheists in our day think that absolutely nothing produced absolutely everything. That is absurd. These people were smarter than that. I, by the way, I don't think atheists are stupid. I think atheists suppress the truth. These natives understood that for the world to exist, there must be a greater governing power that is over all things that is assumed in how they how they related and how they thought about this thing with Paul also without being taught about sovereign providence of God these islanders knew extinct instinctively that things don't happen for no purpose things happen for a reason they saw the snake bite as a providential thing this happened for a reason. And some of us could learn from this when we use words in our everyday speech like luck or coincidence. What a coincidence. They knew that things happened for a reason. They also understood instinctively the principle of sowing and reaping. I mean, they may not have called it that. It, this is a common notion among men, even in our day. Some say it like this. What goes around, comes around. You'll get what's coming to you. Some would call it karma. But there is an innate understanding of consequence. They asserted that Paul must have done something bad Something in his past deeds must have brought about what's happening now. And we see that they also believe that murder was a sinful, was a wrong thing to do and deserved death. They had these things innately in their belief. There's much that they knew instinctively or innately 
But we also note that they had fallen minds, and fallen minds jumped to conclusions. Now, we're going to find some things in common with these Maltese people here. They saw that Paul was bitten by the viper, and instantly they jumped to, he must be a murderer. Bitten by a snake, he must be a murderer. They assumed that trials and afflictions in a person's life means that person has done something bad. They've done something terrible. This is all too common among men, even in our day. Remember in scripture, the man born blind and the question was asked, who sinned, him or his parents? See, we jumped to that conclusion. He was born blind. It must have been his sin or his parents' sin. And Jesus points out, no, neither. His blindness is for the glory of God. Remember Job and all that happened to him? Do you remember Job's friends? We're using that word friends loosely. Remember Job's friends? Job, what have you done? You must have done something. These bad things must be because you have done something. Remember the tower at Siloam fell and 18 people were killed. And then there were people offering uh, an offering at the altar and they were killed there by Pilate. And they came to Jesus asking him about these incidents. And Jesus said to them, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Do you think they were more evil than you are? Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. We as people jump to conclusions when bad things happen. It must be because you deserve it. We think that way. Just, just a couple of weeks ago, someone mentioned that it had rained all around them. It might have been you. I don't know. It, it had rained all around them and, and they hadn't gotten any rain. And I said, well, you need to check how you're living. Now, I was joking, but, but that's how we think, right? The bad things happen. It must be something you did. The fallen minds of the Maltese people jumped to the wrong conclusion. Paul got bit by a snake. He must be a murderer. And then they jumped to another wrong conclusion. He didn't die. He must be a god. We see that the law of God was written on their hearts. And it's visible, it's evident, even though it is marred by sin. Sixthly and finally, we consider the extraordinary kindness repaid. The Maltese people had done a great, extraordinary kindness. They showed kindness to 276 people on the beach. But because they showed this kindness, particularly, especially to three to Luke, to Aristarchus, and to Paul, these Christian men, these men who are God's men, because they showed kindness to them, they were repaid. They were recompensed for their kindness. Jesus provides for his own. And in this case, he used the Maltese people to provide. Then God returns kindness to them by healing which Paul did there. 
It reminds us of what Jesus said. When you offer a cup of cold water in my name to the least of these, you've done it to me. Listen to Matthew 10. He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. And this promise was fulfilled for the Maltese people at the hand of Paul. He comes, he prays, he heals uh, Publius's father-in-law, he, he heals others. Nothing is said in this text about preaching. Now, for those of us who have studied in the book of Acts, and we've been following Paul for quite some time, is there any doubt that along with healing, there was gospel preaching? Is there any question about that at all? We know that there was gospel preaching. And I wonder how many of those men who were on that ship with Paul, how many of the soldiers and the crew, how many of them trusted Christ? How many of them believed? I wonder how many of these Maltese people who saw Paul with that snake bite, and then they heard about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of them trusted in Jesus for forgiveness of sin. The healing of those sick people was a common grace and a recompense for a kindness that was shown to God's children there on Malta. But no doubt, there were special graces as well. Saving grace. Beloved, Jesus provides for his own and Jesus rewards those who show kindness to his covenant people. I've got one quick thing. I know we're going on. Verse 10 closes for us. Once again, with Jesus providing for Luke, Aristarchus, and Paul. Remember, in that shipwreck, they lost everything. But we read here that the people honored them uh, that word honored, when we see it in Scripture, it usually carries with it the idea of financial reward or financial um, means, resources, money. But there was certainly more than just money because it says they were, they were honored with several marks, with many marks, and they supplied all that they needed. God supplied their need here through the Maltese people. He provides for his ministers and he brought the gospel to the island of Malta by using a storm, a shipwreck, and a snake-bit preacher. And next time we'll pick up with Paul sailing to Rome. They're only 85 miles from the coast. Now I said we'd come back to this. For two weeks, they had drifted aimlessly through the Mediterranean, the Adriatic Sea. The Mediterranean Sea is 970,000 square miles. The Adriatic Sea is only 53,000 square miles. And they drifted aimlessly 
tossed about by the wind, and somehow ran aground on an island that was 85 miles from the shore where they needed to pick up their journey to Rome. So did they get blown aimlessly by the wind? Or did God, by his mighty hand, push that boat precisely where he wanted it? To bring them exactly where they needed to be. It's important for us to remember. Because we face storms in our lives and we feel sometimes like we are tossed about, like we are beaten by the winds and like we have no rudder. We have no sail. It feels like we have no control. I think I would say to you in that moment, congratulations for coming to that understanding. <laughs> but let us remember when we feel the most helpless and the most out of control that the mighty hand of God is pushing us exactly, precisely where he wants us to. Eighty-five miles off the coast. God is guiding. God is leading. God is controlling your destination and every point along the way. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we pray that you would apply your word to our hearts. God, we thank you that you are God. That you do not change. That you are the same God who cared for Paul and Luke and Aristarchus and you still to this day care for your people. Apply your word to our hearts. 